Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Across the state, big districts, small districts, school boards have been facing some gut-wrenching, controversial decisions since the reopening of, of the school year. And, and that really came into sharp focus in Boise with the Boise School District and what has unfolded over the past week. We're going to take a deeper dive into Boise because it's so illustrative of the issues that we're seeing around the state and the issues and the decisions we may see unfold around the state in the weeks and months to come. Clark, you've spent most of this week uh, following the Boise issue. I've spent a good part of this week uh, communicating with folks who are concerned about Boise's uh, reopening and, and hybrid learning model. A lot to get to here. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is a lot to get to. A lot's changing, and, and I think you're exactly right. We're going to focus on Boise, uh, the state's second largest school district. It serves about 26,000 students. We're going to focus on that district here at the first part of our show. But what Boise is experiencing in some form or fashion is what all Idaho school districts and charters are wrestling with in some form or fashion. But what a, a last 10 days in Boise, and it's really been whiplash for parents and students mm-hmm. and staff and teachers and administrators and and community members. The very latest, uh, we're recording this podcast live on Friday morning, Friday the 13th of November. The latest came late yester- yesterday afternoon. On Thursday afternoon, November 12th, the Boise School Board met in a special meeting and made the decision to go to full online remote learning after the Thanksgiving break. They're going to do full remote learning from November 30th uh, to January 15th. Uh, Next week, the the district will be continuing its hybrid learning schedule. Uh, Some students um, alternating basically on which days they're doing online learning and which days they're doing in person. They want to get through next week, take their Thanksgiving break, uh, and, and then they'll do full remote learning through December, uh, through Christmas break, through January. You've got the Martin Luther King Day, and then they would look at resuming classes on January 19th. And so that's almost two months away. Um, but it was, it was a hard board meeting last night. And from Superintendent Kobe Dennis uh, to school board members Maria Greeley and Beth Oppenheimer in particular, they said it was a failure of the community. Um, that from an operations standpoint, the Boise School District just can't do it. And at the beginning of the meeting on Thursday, uh, the superintendent and some deputy superintendents and their HR director kind of walked through the factors that the district is facing. And, And it's obviously brought about by this horrible coronavirus pandemic, um, that we just keep having to, to navigate and, and, and deal with, but Boise has doubled the number of positive COVID-19 cases among students and staff from November 3rd to current. Uh, They've doubled the number of cases compared to the two weeks prior to that. Yeah, the numbers, I've got them on my computer right now, they are, they're startling. I mean, as of right now, as we're recording on the morning of the 13th, Boise is reporting 167 positive or probable cases since November 3rd, so in that week and a half period. And that, like you say, I mean, that's, uh, that's double what uh, the district saw 
in the preceding two weeks. So, so definitely a spike in cases involving students and staff in the schools. For sure. Uh, what we're seeing happening in Ada County in general which mirrors what we're seeing happening across the state. You know, it mirrors what we're seeing on the national plane. I mean, the, the coronavirus case numbers are exploding yeah. across the board. And you look at the Boise School District's numbers, you can't really completely parse it out and, and separate it out and segregate it from what's happening in Ada County. You know, how does the, the virus spread? To what extent is the school a factor? To what extent is uh, the community at large a factor, which I, I know was a topic uh, with the school board on Thursday? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, it was. The community at large was a huge factor. Uh, and let's just kind of go through some of the things the district's facing. We talked about the spike in cases. The quarantines are really an issue as well. Across the district, um, as of Thursday night, there were more than 1,500 students and staff in quarantine. That was up more than 400 just since Monday. Uh, on Monday evening, it was like 1,113 students and staff in quarantine. Fast forward just a couple of days to Thursday, and it was more than 1,500. So you've got that going on. You have... And, and I'm sorry, but the, the, yeah. the quarantines, you really have to underscore what kind of upheaval that creates. You know, the schools can't fully staff if they have teachers or you know, paraprofessionals in quarantine. And, and it has a lot of impact on students. If students are in quarantine, how are they learning when they're missing days of school? When, you know, even in this hybrid model where they're spending half of their time studying online, what happens with those students during their, you know, scheduled in-person days. I mean, it, it's a mess and it's a really complicated, really you know, unmanageable situation. There's no navigating it. Yeah. Last night they talked at the school board meeting about how the quarantine situation leads to inconsistent learning, both from a student's perspective. Uh, they're no longer able to you know, attend it in, in person during their quarantine time. It leads to inconsistent learning experiences for them. It's affecting staff members. If a staff member is in quarantine, they obviously can't teach in-person learning. Many of those who are in quarantine are not ill at this time, and so some of them can teach from home. But a huge problem that the district is facing is a, a shortage of substitutes. They're not able to find substitutes to pick up all the shifts that they have. Listening to Kobe Dennis, the superintendent, he actually said overall absences are down a little bit, depending on what week you're looking at and day you're looking at compared to a traditional year. But he said they only have like 60 or 80 substitute teachers out of the whole system picking up shifts. A lot of the substitutes in the system just aren't picking up shifts. And so they're literally having unfilled absences every, I don't know if it's every day, but consistently throughout the Boise School District. And you see the district scramble. Principals might take over a class. Another teacher might take over the class. They might combine two classes in a larger space like a cafeteria or a gymnasium. So they're not able to fill all these teacher absences due to quarantines and any other normal absentee type factors. That's going on. Um, Classified positions, the sort of non-instructional positions that school districts have to have for compliance and reporting purposes and IT, the district has something like more than 40 unfilled classified positions that it's not able to staff. And so Kobe Dennis, Beth Oppenheimer, Maria Greeley really made the point that they feel that it's 
what's happening in the community is preventing the school district from operating, uh, from running its programs. They had to close special programs. They've had coaches get uh, sick with the coronavirus in the last two weeks, and and, and that's affected. Athletics, by the way, that, that went into effect immediately. They did, uh, that, and, and should have mentioned that right from the top. Thank you for reminding me. That was part of Boise's decision on Thursday night. They immediately suspended athletics effective uh, the day of the meeting. That includes practices, that includes workouts, that includes games and matches, extracurricular activities. Uh, that's effective immediately. And so they're going to have to work with, I think it's the Southern Idaho Conference, but basically their athletic conference because it affects other schools. And I think some of the indoor winter sports, uh, maybe particularly girls basketball, was ready to start on Monday. And so uh, those have been... Those have been suspended. Uh, they will not have athletics practices, games, extracurriculars during the time, starting now through the time of remote learning. Kobe Dennis did maybe leave the door open to returning to athletics if the cases and the situation in the community really improved. But that was one of the things the health districts were really concerned about was these indoor close contact sports. And so athletics is absolutely uh, a huge part of the decision as well. Um, but, but some of the school board members got emotional uh, last night. Um, it was school board member Maria Greeley said, I can't help but think that we failed our children and our students as a community. School board member Beth Oppenheimer said, unfortunately, what we're seeing is what's happening outside of the walls of our schools is affecting what's inside. And the district and their HR director have been pretty clear that the cases are up in the last nine, 10 days in particular, uh, and that they are seeing spread in their schools now. And But this is just whiplash. If you remember, Kevin, we went back through the last week and a half for Boise, really, before we turned on the microphone. And it was last week, the district sent out an announcement that really raised a lot of concern in the community, basically saying... Very good advice, very, very... Basically saying there's no community spread in our schools. They were promoting an upcoming board meeting. Uh, there was a, a backlash. We heard from parents. We heard from staff members. Uh, we heard from, uh, in particular, school nurses uh, about the concern there. Uh, there was a school board meeting just this Monday night uh, where two medical professionals from the St. Alphonsus and St. Luke's Medical Centers, uh, Dr. Kenny Bramwell and Dr. Mark Nazar, uh, reviewed some of the numbers in the district, and they really tried to make the point that from what they're seeing, the spread in the schools was lower than the spread in the community. And, and how they did that was they extrapolated out to case counts based on a population of 100,000 and said those case counts in the school are lower than in the community at large. And they felt like students were safer in the school because they know uh, they're wearing masks and, and social distancing and things like that versus who knows what's going on in the community. And so on as recently as Monday night, those medical professionals said, we support you continuing your current operations plan. But they noted on Monday that because of the recent spike, because of the community spread, because of the, uh, the pressure on hospitals, particularly um, in Idaho and the Magic Valley, that they warned that they would have to reassess their assessment very, very rapidly. And I guess it was more rapid than any of us ever imagined because that was the word Monday, you know, hanging on here, looking good, continue the course. We need to keep an eye on things. 
versus Thursday, the reassessment came and it was swift and the school board unanimously voted to move to full online remote learning following next week uh, in the hybrid model, getting us through the, the Thanksgiving break. But but what a whiplash. And Kevin, I want to talk about some of the concerns that we heard earlier in the week, particularly from some of the school nurses on the front lines who had reached right. out. And I have to think that the whiplash, the, the sudden decision that Boise made on Thursday, it has to be a reflection of the backlash that, uh, that, that came from the community. Going back to that announcement from a week ago Thursday, that really struck a nerve. I mean, we heard from people right away, and we were hearing from employees. Uh, you mentioned the nurses, and I want to get to them in, in a minute. But parents, staff, I mean, that really fired people up. That really upset people. And, you know, we were hearing from them, and we can all, I can only imagine how much uh, they heard you know, about it. The trustees were hearing from the community yeah. over that. And you mentioned the nurses. I think the nurses uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, there were two letters that school nurses sent uh, to trustees over the course of the week leading up to Thursday's uh, decision to go online. Both times, uh, the nurses saying, you know, we, you know, you have to go back to online learning. We're, we're at a point where, you know, we can't really track what's going on with these cases. We can't do enough contact tracing to know for sure what the school's role is here. Uh, they talked about kind of the upheaval that this is creating for, for students who are in quarantine. Um, you know, really both letters took the district and the trustees to task and said, you know, this, this just isn't working. Uh, as, as nurses, as professionals, we, we don't feel like we can be silent on this. And we have to say that this is, uh, that this is not working and, you, and you've got to scale it back and you've got to go back to, to online. And, you know, I, I have to think that that, that response, not just from the nurses, but also what, uh, I'm sure trustees were hearing from the community that that had to factor into the decision. This is such it's an emotional issue on all sides. I mean, you talked about it with the trustees and Thursday night's meeting, but the emotion that, you know, we've heard and we've seen in those letters and we've, you know, we've picked up from the emails uh, and, and the tips that we've received. It is a very, it's been a very tough few days for a lot of folks on, on both sides of this debate, on all sides of this debate. It, it, it has been uh, a, a difficult few days, and, it, and it's difficult for everyone, not just Boise. I know we're talking about Boise today, but the letter resonated with me. Uh, the first one I saw when I believe it was the three nurses who signed the joint letter and said, we're on the front lines here. We see exactly what this is like in our schools on a firsthand basis. I think another huge factor going back to the community, and, and you mentioned, Kevin, and you touched on it, uh, but... The spread is so severe, particularly in, in Ada County, but also elsewhere, that Central District Health has announced that they cannot do the levels of contact tracing that they would like to do or need to do to really have an idea of where all this is coming from. And I think that was a huge factor. And it again goes back to this notion of the school is part of the community and the community is part of the school, right? And you can't really separate the two. I mean, schools are hubs in our communities, uh, huge, huge parts of, of of our community and of our institution, um, and so those are those are huge factors there. But 
listening to Kobe Dennis, just real quick, I know you've got a point you want to make, and I'll wrap this up and turn it back to you. But listening to Kobe Dennis last night, he said, I'm begging the community, we need to take this time period and focus on slowing the virus and getting everybody healthy so that we can have our kids back in school. And and that was what he was said. And, and I know you're, you're, there's something you want to jump in and say right now, Kevin. 2,000 cases, 2,000 new cases in Ada County just in the past week. We had a record 590 new cases just in Ada County on, I believe, Wednesday was the day that that, yeah. that, that record spike. And, you know, you'll see the numbers for yourself when we post, when I post on Friday night, the, uh, the weekly roundup. It's bad. And uh, we're talking about Ada County and how bad it is in Ada County just because it is you know, so directly tied to the Boise uh, school decision. But the numbers are frightening pretty much all across the state. I mean, you know, Ada County is one spot. I mean, don't take my word for it. Go on to the website, uh, the, uh, the tableau that uh, the state has for coronavirus case numbers. They do a map of hot spots across the state. And the map of Idaho has hot spots from all corners. I mean, it is pretty much one big blob of hot spot with a few, you know, rivulets of not hot spots in between. It, it's a bad situation. And, you know, the, and I think at some level, the debate about is the spread happening in the schools, is the spread happening in the community, at some level, this is going to sound you know, controversial perhaps, but at some level, it really doesn't matter. At some level, what's happening is what's happening. We know the case numbers are, are skyrocketing in Ada County. We know that that's a problem. And we know that that's a problem, not just in Ada County, but in a lot of, a lot of areas of the state. Right now, this virus is, is not in control. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are, you know, are just, they're just proliferating. Um, we're seeing daily numbers and daily increases that uh, I couldn't have imagined a few weeks ago. And that's going to translate into continued pressure on the hospitals. It's going to translate, unfortunately, into increased deaths. And where that's originating may not be material at this point. It's just we were in a bad situation as a, as a state. The schools are a part and parcel of that. They are, you know, they're in the middle of this as well as, you know, in the community at large. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's it, it's out of control. It's out of control everywhere, not just Idaho. But I'm, I'm thinking back, just a small diversion here, but after the election, I saw a story from my friends at Boise State Public Radio, and I think the conclusion of the story was that 54% of Idahoans believe the pandemic is either somewhat under control or under control. And, you know, maybe this is inappropriate for me and my role as a journalist, but you and I, Kevin, we're watching the numbers every day. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you to be careful that people are dying and the numbers are out of control and it's not under control. It, it wasn't a hoax that went away with the election. Um, it, it's it's very real and it's it, it appears that the numbers are at the highest most alarming levels. Uh, and so that's what I wanted to say. But it's not just affecting Boise, right? I mean, Boise is the state's second largest school district. It's situated right square in the middle of Ada County. But we also saw in eastern Idaho this week, uh, the Teton School District takes took all teaching and learning online in response to the coronavirus pandemic as well, right? 
very, very different demographic, very different community. Um, you know, I live in Boise. Yeah. Uh, my my father-in-law lives in Teton County, and I wish I could spend more time up there, especially this time of year. It's it's gorgeous, but very different communities. You know, and and you know that too. Yeah. From Eastern Idaho days. But it shows you how widespread this problem is and how it's not isolated to Ada County. It's not isolated to the urban areas. I mean, Teton hit the same sort of critical tipping point in terms of keeping school open and, and, go, and making the decision to go online. And I'd be surprised if we, when we come back next week to do the podcast that we're not talking about other school districts that have had to make a similar decision. It's it feels almost inevitable at this point that we're going to have other school districts, uh, maybe large districts, maybe small districts, maybe somewhere in the middle, and maybe geographically all over the place. I think you're going to have other school districts uh, facing these same kind of decisions, and we'll, we'll report and stay on top of it as best we can. We'll keep our map as current as possible uh, in terms of who's open, who's closed, who's gone online. Who's uh, who's gone hybrid? Uh, you know, what the uh, you know, what the status is? Uh, what the risk status is from county to county? I mean, that's become a full time job for our data analyst Randy Schrader. We'll stay on top of this as best we can, but I'm almost willing to to wager a large sum of money that uh, we will be talking about more school closures next week. It's, it just feels like there's. There's no getting around it at this point. We'll see. It'll be here soon enough. But I think it underscores the point that you made originally at the open of the podcast today, Kevin, about these gut-wrenching, high-stakes decisions that these local school board members are having to make. And I mean, listening to all the school board meetings that I've followed all year, but particularly in the last week and a half, school board members are in a no-win situation. And they're trying to balance to perform this impossible balancing act. Uh, They they know that from a mental health standpoint, from a social emotional standpoint, uh, it's it's best to probably have the kids learning in person. They know from a health and safety and physical safety standpoint uh, that they can't do that in some places right now. And so they're in an impossible no-win situation. Uh, I'm sure almost no school board member could have ever contemplated being in this situation when they considered running for office, whether it was one year ago or three years ago or 10 years ago, that they would have to make these level of of decisions. But it really is this impossible balancing act. And schools affect everybody. It it affects parents. It affects the staff. It affects, you know, it affects parents' ability to work and whether they need childcare and whether they can be home. It's just, it touches so many aspects of our lives. And these are such high stakes, difficult decisions. And it's coming at such a devastating time, right? Leading into Thanksgiving is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, Christmas and the rest of the holidays are coming up in December. The weather is turning. It's getting cold. We're moving indoors. It's a it's a difficult time and we have to figure out a way to get through this. Uh, but we'll continue to cover it and continue uh, to update the maps. I thought Boise was a good example um, of where things stand right now and maybe where things are going and what the stakes are. It's not just Boise, though. It's affecting everybody, as you said. Right. And, you know, believe me, I I wish we had other things to be talking about right now. Oh, yeah. I wish we had other stories to be talking about. So this was not, 
you know, a, a story that we were having fun writing about before, uh, before the election, and now it's a story that goes away, obviously. It, it's, it's, it's here, and it's going to be here for a while. Uh, we can only, you know, only hope for the best, and, and, but also try to give you the accurate information yeah. that, that you need to know as, as, a, as a patron, as a taxpayer, as a parent, as an educator. Uh, we're going to try to, uh, to sort through all of this and try to keep it in, in perspective. But, uh, but, you know, tough times for, for trustees, tough times for parents, uh, tough times for educators. Yeah, a hundred percent for sure. If you want to get caught up, a lot happened this week. A lot was changing in Boise and Teton and beyond. Might be a good time to check out the homepage. That's www.idahoednews.org. And when you are on the homepage at idahoednews.org, you'll see your big analysis piece. Uh, and Kevin, we always like to talk about your big pieces um, during our, our weekly podcast here. But you took, as always, you've taken a look at higher education. But you had kind of an interesting analysis about how in the pandemic, colleges are struggling even more to attract Idaho graduates. What did you mean by that and what were you looking at? Yeah, I wanted to take a, a deeper look at the enrollment numbers. And, and we knew that the enrollment numbers were going to be a big deal. We've talked about this since the spring, and I've been writing about this since the spring. The concern that with the pandemic, colleges and universities, not just in Idaho, but across the nation, would have you know, catastrophic declines in enrollment, 20% declines in enrollment. And just, you know, I, I'm not going to do the math here, but I don't think I need to do the math. If, if uh, a college or a university so dependent on tuition and fees and room and board loses 20% of its enrollment in the span of a few months, you can imagine the kind of financial implications that, that come with that. So we've been watching these enrollment numbers for months and we've been you know, wondering what uh, we're gonna see. And universities, Boise State uh, in particular, we're planning worst case scenarios. We're, we're doing budgeting and planning and scenarios for that kind of a 20% drop off in enrollment. Well, that didn't happen. And that's the good news here. Yeah. Uh, the decreases in enrollment, there were decreases, but not nearly as widespread, not nearly as deep as, uh, as feared. Correct. Um, and, a, and a lot of the, the decrease that we saw was a decrease in, in dual credit. High school kids who weren't taking college level classes and they do factor into enrollment. They are you know, counted towards overall enrollment, but on campus, degree-seeking enrollment, those numbers really didn't move all that much. They didn't move downward all that much. It's certainly not as much of a drop-off as was feared. So that's the, the good news. That's the backdrop. And I don't want to like, you know, gloss over that because, you know, the, the worst case scenario didn't play out. But one thing that did happen, and I wanted to dig into it this week, recent high school graduates in Idaho, uh, you know, the class of 2020, yep. students who the state really wants to see continue their education in one fashion or another, whether that's going to two-year college, four-year college, or CTE, those numbers dropped off, and they dropped off across the board. And nearly every college and university in the state reported a decrease in you know, first-time Idaho students going on to college. And... I extrapolated that a little bit further. I didn't go into these numbers as much in, in detail, but those trends continued when you talked about first year 
Idaho high school graduates, uh, for, first year Idaho students in college who would be eligible for financial aid. That number dropped. Yeah. For year Idaho students who are first generation college education, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of firsts there, but first generation students, there, there were dropouts there as well. So those really important demographic groups that you know, the colleges and universities know that they need to do a better job uh, of recruiting and attracting. Those demographics, you know, really, you know, some fairly across the board declines in those numbers. So I really wanted to look at it because we've talked so much about the go-on rate. We've talked so much about you know, how many high school students, how many high school graduates are continuing their education in spite of everything that the state is doing to try to encourage that and everything that the state is, is funding to make that transition from high school to college happen. We're at a 45% go on rate. We have been at the 45% go on rate for the past couple of years. That's before the pandemic. Right. And just based on what we saw this fall on the campuses, I, I, would, I would imagine that that go on rate may be lower when those numbers come out and those usually come out to you know February or thereabouts. But this is a challenge, and and the, the real question is, is it a blip? Do these uh, high school grads come back? Are they sitting out a year? What happens? Um, we we can't answer that question right now. But I had a, a long conversation with uh, an administrator of Boise State University. She's hoping that it is a one-year blip, but you know, and what she's hearing from students who were admitted to Boise State, they got in. You know, they applied, they were accepted, but they didn't show up. Uh, a thousand or so students in that category. When the when Boise State tried to go back and check and see, well, what happened? Why did you decide not to go? Uh, the answers were pretty much what you would expect. Uh, concern about the pandemic, uh, financial implications caused by the pandemic. You know, families that are in a, in a financial hardship because of the uh, the pandemic and the economic uh, fallout. Right. Students who are, they don't want to have online college. They don't want to sign up for, you know, they don't want to enroll in a university and find out that they have to go online. Right. The uncertainty. Yeah. You know, so for a variety of reasons, completely predictable, completely understandable. A lot of these students decided, yeah, Boise State isn't for them right now. And, and what, uh, what Leslie Webb, the administrator of Boise State that I spoke to, what she said was, if you look further into it, most of those students who didn't go to Boise State they didn't go anywhere. They stayed home. They're, they're doing a gap year, of, you know, whether it's a, a formal gap year or a planned gap year, or just they're taking the time off. It's not like Boise State lost these students to other institutions in the state or institutions outside of Idaho. These students just decided college was not right for them in 2020. What did they decide in 21? You know, where will they will they come back in 2021? Will the circumstances be different in their view that you know, you know, that they feel like they can afford college, that they feel safe on a college campus, that they feel comfortable that if they show up for face-to-face -face learning at Boise State, that it will continue to be face-to-face -face learning and it won't turn into an impromptu, you know, emergency online education. So all of those concerns, you know. And it really kind of it sets up a you know, long-term 
question for Idaho's higher education system, which is already having a difficult time getting Idaho high school graduates to come into the system. Now, where do we go from here? Interestingly, yeah. and I'm talking a lot, and there's a lot there in this story, and it's a, it's a dense story, so I hope after you listen to me uh, talk about it that you'll read the story because you'll see the numbers, you'll see the trend line. Lewis Clark State College was the outlier this this year, Clark. They had an increase in Lewis Clark, and, and they saw the increases not just in overall first-year Idaho students, they saw increases with first-year students who are eligible for financial aid, you know, students who are, who, you know, first-generation college students. So all of those demographic boxes, they, they checked them off, and they, they did they did better than expected and better than their peers. And I talked to Cynthia Pemberton, the president at, at Lewis Clark, and she was very cautious not to run gloating. She wasn't, you know, you know, you know, dunking on her fellow college and university presidents around the state. And she said, look, I'm not counting my chickens before they're hatched. We've got to find out how we do here in the spring. We've got to find out if we can continue to do the face-to-face -face learning because we know that's what our students want. We don't know yet. But, you know, what she said was uh, that maybe one of the things that they've been able to, to tap into at Lewis Clark is a small college. You know, there's only a couple thousand students, a much smaller campus environment than you'd see at Boise State or, or at U of I or at Idaho State. And that they've really tried to, you know, lean into that and, and make that personalized uh, educational model uh, resonate with students. And she said, you know, look, there are some kids who really want a small college environment. You know, that's what they're looking for. And that's the one thing that Lewis Clark offers that uh, the four-year universities don't or can't just because they're larger, just because it's 10, 20,000 students as opposed to a couple thousand students at Lewis Clark. So I was really interested in what was happening there relative to what's happening at the, the other four-year universities and the community colleges who also saw these kind of decreases. So kind of a think piece, kind of a, you know, what happens next sort of a, a piece. This is something I've been watching very closely. These enrollment figures are fascinating and vitally important. So like President Pemberton at, at Lewis Clark, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens in the spring. Do students come back? Do they stay? Um, and obviously, we'll be really looking down the road to see what happens in the fall of 21. Don't know what the world's going to look like in the fall of 21, but how does that affect what happens with college and university enrollment? So, uh, a snapshot right now, and, and a concerning snapshot. We'll see how it how it all unfolds. Yeah, I'm I'm glad people people can check that out. It's a good piece over at the uh, homepage. I'm glad though that this is a good time that you're making this transition to focus more fully on higher education and keep an eye on these things. But uh, I know that a lot of these goals are big goals, uh, the state and people really track closely. Whether it's the go on rate uh, that you mentioned, and that relates to the so-called 60% goal, but it was a population goal uh, for education attainment um, for basically the number of young adults with a post-secondary degree or certificate. Those two things are related. At one point, the 60% goal was almost the state's top education goal, uh, and that's how right. we talked about it. Right, and, and I didn't get into this as much in the story, but the State Board of Education's own figures about you know, resident enrollment and freshman resident enrollment. It's not just 
in the two-year and four-year colleges where we saw a drop-off. We also saw a drop-off in resident enrollment in the CTE programs. And the state is putting a lot of stock in CTE. They're saying that you know to get to that 60% goal, it's not just about young adults getting a two-year degree or a four-year degree. It's about, for some young adults, getting that certificate, going through CTE, getting a professional certificate and getting ready to go into the workforce that way. That is a that counts towards the 60% goal that gets uh, young adults ready for the workplace. You're seeing declines in CTE enrollment as well as college enrollment. That's pretty telling. Yeah, we'll continue to watch that. Um, that was pretty much a full show uh, for this week. There's a couple other stories on the homepage that might interest our listeners. We're not going to be able to get to them, but I just wanted to mention them. Uh, our, our Sammy Edge, uh, our reporter, had a story Thursday, the timing was really good, about a Boise teacher who abruptly retired amid the COVID-19 pandemic. She said she was driven to a line that she would not cross. You can check that story out uh, as well. Kevin, uh, you had... Uh, the whole Boise uh, school opening issue that we spent uh, a lot of time talking about at the outset. It's yeah. a really good story. Yeah, it relates to that. Kevin, you had a blog on Wednesday. NNU, Northwest Nazarene University, issued a stay-in-place order. Uh, you had that on Wednesday, right? The first college or university in the state that really had to scale back from face-to-face -face learning. It's a one-week stay-in-place order. They're, they're hoping to resume face-to-face. -face. Next week, for the few days before Thanksgiving break, we'll keep an eye on how it, how it unfolds at NNU. Yep. I had a piece on Tuesday, this record-setting, potentially record-setting state budget surplus is amassing uh, right now, and uh, I had another update Tuesday. It's up to $587 million projected ending balance, uh, and that would come to pass next June. June 2021 is when the budget year ends. It sounds like a good problem to have, and it really is because the state was bracing for revenue slowdowns amid the pandemic, but revenues are up. They're up compared to last year. They're up above the forecast. The individual income tax is up. The corporate income tax is up. Um, it's all up. But meanwhile, uh, educators have not forgotten, Kevin, that they're operating under 5% budget holdbacks that the governor announced before the budget year began. And so... On one hand, $587 million uh, growing in the state government that they weren't expecting uh, in their budget. It's a good problem, but it's going to lead to, I think, some political debates, and we've talked about that. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, yeah. Just... It is shaping up. 2021 at the state house is really shaping up to be the, uh, the more money, more problems kind of legislative session. It'll be an interesting way uh, to look at that. So those are some stories to take a look at. Uh, just briefly, though, you, you mentioned it, but Thanksgiving is a big checkpoint for many of our colleges and universities, right? And, and we're almost there. But uh, the plan is that they would they would offer uh, classes in person uh, through Thanksgiving break and then finish the semester remote. Is, is that the plan, Kevin? That is still the plan, and we're watching kind of to see how that uh... – how that plays out. We're a couple of weeks out. Um, I'll have my weekly roundup on Monday, looking at what's happening with campus coronavirus cases. We talked about NNU and, and the situation there. Right now, it looks like 
some increases in case numbers on the college and university campuses. Not most of them are fairly minor increases, fairly you know small increases, relatively speaking. Uh, so we'll see how the next couple of weeks uh, unfold. Uh, at this point, it looks though like uh, the big universities, Boise State, U of I, Idaho State, are on track to to get through to the Thanksgiving break and then segue into online learning. Yep. We'll continue uh, to keep an eye on that. Thanks so much for uh, sticking with it with us. Um, I know it's rough. <laughs> I know it's rough for everybody. It's, it's rough for us, and, and, and there's certainly no exception to that. Uh, but we do think it's important, and that's why we spend all this time talking about this really complicated intersection of education politics and education policy. Uh, so thanks so much for sticking with us. We'll be back next week with another all-new episode of Extra Credit. Anything you miss, uh, you can keep uh, up to date on the homepage. Again, that's www.idahoednews.org. If you're on Facebook, you can give us a like. If you're on Twitter, we're at Idaho Ed News. I know you've been tweeting out, Kevin, some of the numbers with the cases and some of the big stories that we're tracking, so that's a way to stay in touch as well. But uh, thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Wear a mask, stay safe, and have a good week.